0: We're going to be in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 1 and also put a finger in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, We'll be looking at those two texts uh, this afternoon. Let's pray together. Father, we come with a heart of thanksgiving that you would send your son to die for us, that he would be born in the manger. God in human flesh, we ask that you would really bless this time that we have in your word. As we read your word, would you speak to our hearts? So would you send your spirit, and we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we look at the more traditional account of Christ's birth, I wanted to start in John 1 because in John we see the grandeur of Jesus. We see Jesus is God, that Jesus is the creator, and then with that in mind, we'll take a look at Matthew's account. When John records this for us, uh, he leaves out a lot of the details of the virgin birth, of Christ being born in Bethlehem, the shepherds, all of those things. But he focuses on who is Christ? What is his character? What is his nature? The the pre-eternal existence of Christ. So this is John 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the beginning was the Word. Speaking of Christ, the Word is a title for Christ. We'll see in a few verses, in verse 14, the Word became flesh. So in the beginning was the Word, and then the Word was with God. The fellowship that Jesus has with the Father, and also with the Holy Spirit. And then the Word was God. No question about it. Jesus is God. So when we think of Christ coming in human flesh, it's God coming in human flesh. All God, deity, and all man, humanity. In verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The creator of the universe. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of the universe. We think of creation, the beauty of the mountains, the beauty of a sunrise. We've had some good ones this week. A little easier to catch the sunrise this time of year. It's later in the day. Sunsets, the stars, also creation in DNA. The detail inside of a cell. He's the creator. He has spoken all things into existence. In verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So in Christ... In his life is the light of men that shines into the darkness. And that's what we celebrate. As Christ came into the manger, as he was born there in Bethlehem, the purpose was to go to the cross. His feet, his footsteps were leading him to the cross, where he would die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for sin, our ransom for sin, to come into the darkness of our lives and be able to overcome the darkness. Even in the natural kingdom, in the natural realm, we see that light conquers darkness. This room right now is a lot of fun because you're here. But when it's dark and nobody's in here and all the lights are out, it's kind of a creepy room, right? (laughs) But the way that that goes away is you just turn on the lights and boom, the light overcomes the darkness. And Christ, his life is the light of men. And jump down to verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh... And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is one of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, think about that for a moment. The creator, God, the word, came in human flesh and dwelt among us, moved into the neighborhood, if you would. And John tells us because of the incarnation of Christ, we're able to behold his glory, full of grace and truth. If it wasn't for the life of Christ, the earthly life of Christ, how much would we know of God's glory? How much could we tell of who God is from creation? We know He's powerful. How much would we know from the Old Testament? God is holy, the holiness of God. All of these standards that we can't live up to. But in Christ, we see an amazing, compassionate, approachable God. Jesus understands the human experience. It was the noon service, our first service today. I was watching a little boy. He was probably nine or ten months old over here during worship, and he was crawling. And he wanted to crawl up on stage, and dad was having to keep him off the stage. But it hit me, Jesus had to learn to crawl, you know? In his humanity, he had to learn to crawl. Jesus had to suffer through learning how to read Hebrew, He's a first grader and trying to sort that out and put together all the phonetic rules of those things. Jesus knows what it is to get up and go to work day after day and do a mundane task as a carpenter. He understands the flu if you're suffering with the flu this this Christmas season. He understands the temptation of sin. He was tempted like we are, but yet he never gave in to sin. Maybe this year, or possibly even this decade, has been marked by suffering. Jesus was acquainted with sorrows. He took our our sorrows, he understands our sorrows. To where the book of Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness, that we can boldly come to him. We behold the glory of God. In the person of Jesus Christ, and it's an understanding of grace and it's an understanding of truth. So, with this grandeur of who Jesus is, that he's God, that he's the creator, let's look more at the details of his birth in Matthew 1, verse 1. Now, guys, we're going to study a genealogy for a few minutes. Kids, we're going to study a genealogy. They're like, what? They're like, what's a genealogy, right? This is why it's not the norm Christmas. This is not the normal Christmas message to look at a genealogy. But this genealogy is really important because one of the reasons why it stands out is there's some surprises in the genealogy of Christ. There's some people listed here that you wouldn't expect to be listed. Always important to approach the scriptures is what would the Jewish reader, the first reader of the scriptures think they would be completely shocked by the genealogy of Christ because there's four women listed in the genealogy. They never listed women in genealogies. In the Old Testament, you won't see that as you read the the genealogies. But in Christ's genealogy, there's four women that are listed because Christ is the liberator of women. Christ is the one that brings women to their proper place where God doesn't see male or or female. His love is for all of us. But as we read through this, the message is clear, even from the lineage of Christ, that he came for sinners, that he came to save the broken. He came to save those that needed a savior. So in verse one, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of David, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah got Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Tamar, the first woman that's listed in the genealogy of Christ, from the book of Genesis with this very broken, sinful family. Judah's the father, Tamar marries the oldest son, who's wicked in God's eyes to the point where he kills him. So she then marries the second oldest son. He too is wicked. God kills him as well. Tradition then would be that he that she would marry the third son. Judah the dad says, not on your life. You're a real black widow. <laughs> but he wasn't upfront with his intentions with Tamar. So Tamar waits and waits and is unmarried and unmarried. She decides to dress up as a prostitute, Knowing the character of her father-in-law, that he would enter into sexual sin, that's exactly what happens and takes place. And this is listed for us in the genealogy of Christ. This is the the beginnings of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Probably not where you would want to attach your name. But Christ attaches his name. Why? Because he came for sinners. And that is declared through his genealogy. Verse 5, it says, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite prostitute. So you find a, a woman who was living in sin, but yet she chose to believe the word of God, risk everything at God's word. And her name is listed in Hebrews 11 in the Heroes of Faith. Go down a little bit further, and we see Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. The Jews were terribly prejudiced towards anybody who wasn't Jewish, towards the Gentiles, but especially towards the Moabites. In this genealogy with Ruth being in the genealogy, God is saying that he sent his son for sinners. He sent his son for broken people. Verse five continues, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Israel really looked up to David almost to the point of worshiping David, and were reminded that David committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, then had Uriah killed. So David was a murderer and an adulterer, And here we find it in the genealogy of Christ. Christ came for sinners. I won't go into it, but in verse seven, going down to verse 10, we see a guy named Manasseh listed. He was the most wicked king of all of the kings in the Old Testament. But later in his life, he repented and turned to the Lord and God forgave him. And Manasseh is included in the genealogy of Christ. So stay with me because as this is not the normal genealogy, we see the not the normal conception in verse 18. We'll read from verse 18 down to verse 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Mary and Joseph, they're engaged. All excitement. Got the date planned. Invitations are out. Mary comes to him and says, we need to talk. We need to have a one-on-one. I'm pregnant. You're what? You're pregnant? Yep, and it's of the Holy Spirit. Joseph's like, I don't understand. Let's go ahead and break off this betrothal. As he's considering this, God sends a messenger. God sends an angel. says it is of the Holy Spirit. This is the immaculate conception. Why is the virgin birth important? Because it validates what John declared, that Jesus is God. He has no earthly father, but yet has an earthly mother. So God in human flesh. Go ahead and marry her. And you're to declare that his name is to be Jesus. This is a fulfillment of Isaiah 714 that was prophesied roughly 700 years before Christ was born. God predicted this to be a sign. This is not the normal conception to prove to us that Jesus is God. Joseph obeys what the angel has declared. But what I want to focus on, there's a lot of things we could focus on in this paragraph, is what the Christ child is to be called. His name is to be Jesus, because he's gonna save his people from their sins. The reason that Jesus came was to save sinners, to save them from their sins, to do what the Old Testament could never do, and that's provide an answer for our sin. Jesus was the friend of sinners. He spent time with sinners. Even his own disciples were a rough, ragtag renegade. The author of the Gospel of Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew who was a tax collector for the Roman government. Ripping off his own people, Jesus walks up to his table of tax collecting and says, I want you to be my disciple. For most people, they're looking at Matthew and they're going, Really? Jesus, you chose Matthew? To be one of your disciples? And we haven't even begun to mention Peter, who was a salty fisherman. Jesus was the friend of sinners. Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed with seven demons. Community, I'm sure, was wondering what do we do with Mary Magdalene? Jesus cast out the demons, and she was a follower of Christ. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And we're all in need of of Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. This is the message that I missed somehow growing up in a Christian family, going to a Christian school, being at church several days a week, was the amazing love of God that's displayed in Christ being the sacrifice for our sins. Now, I don't think it was anybody's fault but my own. I don't know that I was really listening. What I did hear the message being is a lot of rules, a lot of do's and don'ts. These are the things you need to make sure that you do, and these are the things that you need to make sure that you don't do, and I wasn't interested. really wasn't interested in the things of God, or Christ, or going to church, or any of those things. Thankfully, God, by His grace, intervened in my life my freshman year of high school. I had put all of my effort into making the varsity team In basketball. My coach, the summer before my ninth grade year, seems Brian Morris, he still coaches there in Southern Oregon. He took a, a ball and he painted it yellow and he says, Before tryouts, I want you to bring this back and wear all of the paint off. Everywhere you go, grocery shop with your mom, bounce the ball. Go for a walk, bounce the ball. He even said, If you go to a movie, I want you bouncing the ball, which I didn't do, right? probably would have gotten shot for that, but so I made the team, and here I was on a varsity team as a freshman, and I even got my favorite number, number 22, after Clyde Drexler with the Portland Trailblazers, right? But something weird was happening inside of me. I I reached this goal, but I was incredibly empty. It didn't satisfy. It didn't fulfill. All the girls in the high school still didn't want to date me, It's like, I thought being on the varsity team, that would be my ticket. No, it wasn't wasn't my ticket. And it was that emptiness that caused me to cry out to God and say, Lord, if you exist, would you reveal yourself to me? Four days later, I was walking home from the gym, and it wasn't that I heard the voice of God. It was more of a still, small voice in my heart of just, Eric, while you wanted nothing to do with me, I wanted everything to do with you. There were some kids playing in the yard. And as if the Lord was saying, Eric, all these years of your childhood where you rejected me, I I wanted to be in relationship with you. Got in my parents' house there on Brentwood Drive. And with tears coming down my face, I was like, Jesus loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I'd heard that my whole life, but now it had become real to me. I was the sinner, I was a sinner who didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And Jesus died for me. He demonstrated his love towards me while I was still a sinner. And this Christmas, I've got to tell you, as I've been reading over these sections of Scripture and praying them through, God has reminded me of that I'm a sinner and that I have a Savior and how good news it is that Christ would die for my sins, that Christ would die for our sins. And I've got to tell you, that's all of us. We're all sinners that need a savior. God doesn't rate sinners where he's like, okay, you're like a two on the scale of one to 10. 10 being really bad, you're, you're a two, you're pretty good. And then, well, you're, you're a 10, you're really bad. And then oh, you back there, you're off the charts, right? He doesn't do that because we know our hearts and we know we're all guilty before a holy God and we need a savior to die for us on the cross and rise again through faith, then we can come into right relationship with God. Let's go into chapter 2 and look at this not-the-norm sign that is given. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him probably from Persia, modern-day Iran, the wise men, the magis, seeing this star, noticing that it's out of place, following the star to Jerusalem. So God gives this a tremendous sign, even in the stars, to point to his son being born. This is such a significant event. There's a star, the Bethlehem star, that is leading them to the Christ child, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he'd gathered all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod is upset with the news of the birth of the Christ because this little baby born in Bethlehem is a threat to his kingdom, to his threat, to his throne. And the same is true today. For some there'll be those that reject Christ because Christ is a a threat to our way of life. He's a threat to our kingdom. If we want it our way, we want to be our own boss, we want to be our own authority, Christ isn't willing to take second place. And many will say, I don't want Christ because I'm going to hold on to or try to hold on to my kingdom. In verse 5, So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod's asking, where is the Christ child going to be born? So they quote to him Micah 5.2. They were looking for Christ to be born in Bethlehem. And this is not the normal location. Bethlehem is the smallest. It's the least of the cities in judah in southern israel you can think about colorado and what are some of the great cities of colorado and then what are some of the not so great cities of colorado the out of the way podunk places of colorado i'll let you answer that (laughs) because if i answer that i'm going to get in trouble but there's some cities that are not wise places to buy a vrbo investment property It's just not going to get rented out in in tourism. That's Bethlehem. Bethlehem is forgotten. Bethlehem is out of the way. But it's from this place, Bethlehem, that Christ is going to be born to be a ruler of the people and to be our shepherd. So he's our savior, but he's also our shepherd. So what does it mean to be in relationship with Christ? It's to have forgiveness of sins, but to also have a shepherd who leads us to green pastures, who restores our soul. Jesus said that he came to give us everlasting life, to provide heaven and save us from hell, but also to give us abundant life. As you're going through your life, you might say something's missing and it could be Christ. That emptiness inside of you can only be fulfilled with your relationship with your shepherd, who's the bread of life. In verse 7, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. So as he's talking with them, he's able to do the math and figure out when they first saw the star. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you'd found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. The star stops right over Christ, right there in Bethlehem. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, the anticipation of meeting Christ. And when they'd come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. Some time has gone by. No longer are they in the barn. No longer is Christ in the the manger where he was born because there was no room in the inn. He's a young child. They're in a house. And as they come in and they saw the young child with Mary, they fall down and they worship Jesus. And when they'd opened their treasure, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream, that they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. They open up their treasures to Jesus and give these valuable gifts to Christ. They came prepared to give. They came prepared to be able to worship. When we come in contact with Jesus, God, the creator in human flesh, died for our sins and rose again to provide forgiveness, to save us from our sins, to be our shepherd, then our response is, I want to open up my treasure to you. What do we treasure? What do we value? And to be able to pour that at the feet of Jesus, to bow down before Christ. In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision about Jesus. And I want you, each person, to consider Christ. Consider where are you at with Christ. Christ died for you. John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a broad invitation. We're a whosoever. We're all invited. But it's specific to you. It's specific to me. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. You're created by God. You're loved by God. He wants to be in relationship with you for all of eternity and now presently. And you know if you have ever chosen to trust him for salvation, to acknowledge your sin and repent from sin, and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. We're going to give you an opportunity to come down right here in the front to stand with me where this candle is lit to receive Christ as your Savior. Maybe you, like me, and you've said, man, I've rejected Christ. I've, I've rejected Christ. I've not wanted anything to do with Christ. And this Christmas is different. This is not the normal Christmas because you find yourself here and God is speaking to you and he's communicating his His love towards you. And you might be saying, well, why is this so important? Why would it be important that I accept Christ as my savior? Jesus tells us that it's what determines if we go to heaven or hell. If we accept Christ as our savior, having everlasting life, if we choose to reject him through the course of a lifetime, then being separated from God for, for all of eternity, your eternity is determined by what you choose to do with Christ. You may be saying, well, well why a public decision? Why, why come down here in the front? I would pray that God's love would compel you to that point, where you would see his sacrifice for you on the cross, that he died for you specifically on the cross, and you would say, I'm all in. I want to receive Christ as my savior. I'm willing to come down here in the front before God and before others and proclaim that Christ is my savior. But also want to give opportunity for believers, those of us that we do know Christ as our savior, we are the child of God, but we've walked away from the Lord and we've, we've drifted away from the Lord and we found ourselves in places that we never thought that we would be. And maybe tonight you're like, I don't know that I wanna go to Christmas Eve service because I know I'm gonna be confronted with Jesus. But Jesus is welcoming you back. Maybe you're at a point where you're a little bit concerned or even scared about how dark things have gotten. And there's a darkness in your soul as a believer because of your spiritual condition. And you too, I'm going to invite you to come right here to come back to the Lord and say, tonight, I am coming back to him. I'm coming home to him. I'm ready to return to him. And God is the one who welcomes us back the story of the prodigal son and the son who took his inheritance and he wandered and and sinned and found himself with the pigs and decided to come back to the father. The father ran to meet him and was excited to be able to restore him. And there's that invitation. So please be thinking, man, do I want to respond? Do I I want to make that long walk to receive Christ as, as my savior? Am I willing to come and return to the Lord?